Let's sing that again. been good to you. Can you take a moment and praise him right now with me? Hallelujah. Thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness, God, for your consistency in my life. Thank you for the foundation that I find in you, Lord. Hallelujah. Not every day in my life has been good. But every day he's been good. The Bible says all things work together in culmination, in completion, all things work together for the good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. When it's all said and done, it will be good. Not every day, not every moment, not every season, but when he's finished, you will without a doubt say it was good. It was good. Are you thankful that you serve a good God? Can you give him one more hand clap of appreciation to let him know you love him tonight? God bless you. you may be seated. What a wonderful weekend we just enjoyed. God's presence was so near. Amen. Wonderful touch of the Lord from just the very moment we started both services, Sunday morning and Sunday night, Pastor Barbara and I were talking about it. There was just a, a glory of the Lord evident, and I am still basking in that, enjoying that. I'm thankful for the goodness of the Lord. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to the most famous, most often, most well-used verse of Scripture in the entire world. I'll give you one guess. John 3.16, you guessed it. We are going to start a series tonight that examines the grace-filled response and power that Jesus has to people who demonstrate faith. People that demonstrate faith immediately see grace, they see power, and they see response from Jesus. We'll look at various new believers or believers in the New Testament, and it will encourage us and it will challenge us to respond in like manner to those that seen Jesus respond to them when they demonstrated faith. And so we'll look at that tonight. We will talk about Jesus responds to faith. Jesus responds to faith. 
I don't have to read this. I'm sure you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You've probably heard me say this before, but for new believers or people who are still familiarizing themselves with the Bible and may not necessarily understand the context of uh, monotheism or one God, it can be also helpful for them to understand when the Son is referenced in the New Testament, is referencing the flesh of God, not another person, not another deity. For God settled the world that He gave His only begotten flesh that whoever should uh, believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so God gave Him Himself, but He did it in a fleshly body that we might have everlasting life. And that is our truth about God tonight. The truth for me, the truth about my life, the truth I must walk out of here knowing with assurity is that I will embrace the new life that I can find in Jesus. We will not, for the sake of time, we will not read the entire interaction that we will talk about tonight, but I would challenge you from John chapter 3, all the way from 1 to 21, read it in your private time of study. But we will talk about the interaction uh, there with Nicodemus uh, in various passages of Scripture, but not read the entire uh, conversation for sake of time tonight. You may never have heard of Roland Stewart, but if you're a sports fan who lived through the 1980s, you may be familiar with his work. You may have seen him and didn't even know you were looking at him. The Colorado Springs Gazette described Stewart as a fixture in American sports culture in the 1980s. No, he wasn't a great athlete. He didn't play on a sports team or a championship team. Stewart became known for showing up at major sporting events with a huge sign emblazoned saying, John 3.16. And he wasn't interested in being in the nosebleeds. He would strategically place himself so that the television crews would see him and his famous sign. After converting to Christianity, Stuart had made it his life's mission to bring the most maximum amount of visibility that he could to this one verse of Scripture. He made his first television appearance in the 1977 NBA Finals. He was spotted at the Olympics. He was seen at the Augusta National Golf Club. He made an appearance at the Kentucky Derby, the World Series, the Super Bowl, and even the royal wedding of Princess Diana and Prince Charles. He wore a rainbow-colored wig. What a sight. What a great testimony to the gospel. <laughs> Which helped draw attention to himself. And, I don't know whether good or bad, John 3.16. Not everyone's a good spokesman for the word. He traveled 60,000 miles every year to promote this single Bible verse. Now, Stewart's story has a tragic twist. 
He was married multiple times with his fourth wife filing for divorce in 1990 over allegations of physical abuse. Stewart's behavior became increasingly erratic as time passed. In September of 1991, he attempted to hold three hostages in a hotel room near Los Angeles International Airport. The SWAT team showed up. Stewart was arrested and eventually was sentenced to three consecutive life sentences. He currently is incarcerated in California State Prison. Roland Stewart's ministry, as you might imagine, came to an end. A sad end, but perhaps not a completely unexpected end when you consider his personal history. However, the popularity of John 3.16 lives on. According to Lifeway Research, it's the most popular Bible verse on the website. Perhaps because we all need, every one of us, even us Bible-thumping apostolics, need to be reminded of God's love for us. We need to be reminded that God loves us unconditionally. He loves us more than anybody else. He loves us in spite of our mistakes, and we need to be reminded of that even though we see people abusing that. We cannot neglect that powerful truth even in light of others that may abuse it. God loves us. He loves us. Now, while tragic, Stewart's story illustrates an incredibly powerful truth. The power of John 3.16 is not in the verse reference, not just in saying it's not in a sign. The power is placing our faith in God who offers eternal life to everyone who was born again of water and spirit. That's what John 3.5 reminds us of. Born again of water and spirit. In the third book of John, we find an interesting individual by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee and he was a member of the Sanhedrin, the highest governing Jewish religious authority. He was a conservative Jew who believed in the strict adherence to the law of Moses. Now, the average Jewish citizen revered the Pharisees mainly because, unlike the Sadducees, the ruling Jewish party of Jesus' day, the Pharisees believed in the supernatural intervention in the world, including the existence of angels and future resurrection. They believed that God still worked. Unlike the Sadducees, the Pharisees believed that God intervened. They believed in angels and supernatural works. And so they were revered. It is likely that Nicodemus, a part of this ruling party, approached Jesus at night, the Bible says, because he didn't want his fellow Pharisees to know about his visit. Not everybody that comes to God or approaches God necessarily wants to proclamate about it. Most of the other Sanhedrin members hated Jesus because he wasn't afraid to confront hypocrisy. The Sanhedrin would later condemn Jesus to death. But here we find Nicodemus approaching Jesus at night. And so it's a nighttime setting, it's dark, and this visit symbolized not just the physical darkness, but it also symbolized a spiritual darkness 
that pervaded at that time among God's people. When it came to comprehending spiritual truth, Nicodemus and most of the people around him were spiritually in the dark. Spiritually in the dark. Thank God, John chapter 9 and verse 5 reminds us that Jesus is the light of the world. And he was about to cut the light on in Nicodemus' life. There was about to be some spiritual illumination take place. How many remember the, how many remember the first time you started seeing the revelation of the truth? I remember the first time the scriptures became alive to you and you saw things in there you had never seen before. Nicodemus was about to experience this kind of revelatory illumination. And nothing surpasses revelation of God's Word. We've talked about the power of God's Word recently. But I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, and I, as much as I uh, believe in uh, the emotional experience of, of coming in contact with God, and receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost and all, how very necessary that is. But there can be people who can stand at this altar, receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speak in tongues, and then leave and never come back. But when you get a spiritual revelation, it is something that will never leave you. No matter where you go, no matter what bar stool you sit in, no matter what drugs may be coursing through your vein, you can never deny the spiritual revelation that you see. And so illumination and revelation in God's Word is a powerful thing. Powerful thing. And Nicodemus was about to experience that. Now it's clear from Nicodemus's opening statement that he possessed some measure of faith in Jesus, in his words, in his works, and who he was. Because he began by saying in verse 2, Rabbi, we know thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Right? And so this seed of faith, this small light, this little pin light, Nicodemus began going towards it. It's so important that as God reveals light to us that we continue to search after it. And Nicodemus, he knew this much about God and he wanted to know more. He didn't fully understand who Jesus was. He didn't know what he had come to do. But Nicodemus recognized there was something special about the Lord. And Jesus then answered a question that Nicodemus did not ask. As Jesus so often did in the gospel accounts, he cut right through the fluff. He went straight to the heart of the matter. He didn't beat around the bush. And he said this. Nicodemus said, who are you? I want to know who you are. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was like, that ain't the question I asked. Jesus said, that's the answer you need. <laughs> right? I'm so thankful we serve a God that don't always tell us what we want to hear, but he tells us what we need. And so Nicodemus had a question that Jesus didn't even bother answering, but he gave him the answer that he needed. Nicodemus said, who are you? Jesus said, except a man be born again of the water and spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus had not been, he did not even ask about being born again. That wasn't his question. And he didn't possess enough spiritual understanding to even form that question. But Jesus knew what Nicodemus 
really needed. Now, there's a powerful truth here I don't want you to miss. Nicodemus didn't even know how to ask the right question. But Jesus gave him the right answer. <laughs> it's important that he pointed that conversation in that direction. John later recorded, and we'll get back to this very powerful truth in a minute, that Nicodemus uh, didn't even know how to ask the question, and Jesus gave him the answer because I want we'll to come back to that because it's important in terms of your prayer. But John later recorded, in John chapter 12 and verse 42, and I actually want to read this because this is very important. John 12 and 42 says, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him. Someone say believed on him. Does that phrase sound familiar to you? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of the chief rulers also believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. What we learn here is that mental acknowledgement is not enough. If mental acknowledgement was enough, the whole lesson with Nicodemus would not have been necessary. Because many of the chief rulers mentally acknowledged him and believed on him that they had not been born again. And so when Nicodemus came and said, I want to know more, I want to know who you are, Jesus said, I'm going to ask, answer the real problem and the real issue here, and that is you need to be born again. If mental acknowledgement was all you needed, and all you needed to do was walk up to a church somewhere, or you in your private time or alone, just say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, and that's all you needed, then this lesson and this, and this teaching to Nicodemus would not have even been necessary. I know what James 2.19 says. Even the devils believe there's one God and they tremble. If mental acknowledgement was all you needed, the devils are saved. It takes being born again. It takes being born again of the water and of the Spirit. There has to be a transformative relationship that takes place when you approach God. Mental acknowledgement is a good thing. It starts there. In fact, we know repentance is a change of mind and a change of direction. You have to look at things different. Metanoia, that's what the Greek word for repentance is. It's a change of mind. We, we know it must start there. But if all you do is mentally acknowledge, I believe in the Lord, and you are not born again, mental acknowledgement is not enough. Nicodemus responded to Jesus with the question, How? How? Unlike the critics of Christianity who have ridiculed the claims of Jesus throughout the centuries, Nicodemus was no scoffer. He was no mocker. He was not there to try to trip Jesus up. He was not there trying to find a loophole. He was a sincere seeker who would not let his momentary confusion dissuade him from pursuing truth. This conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus is a reminder that God is not put off. He's not insulted. He doesn't get upset by our lack of understanding or our questions. Did you know you can ask God questions in your prayer? In your personal time with God, it's okay to say, God, why? I don't understand. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't. It's a, a personal relationship allows you, it affords you that. And so... He was not put off by this how. 
How is this possible? In fact, Hebrews 11 and 6 tells us that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. How do you seek without asking questions? And so when Nicodemus said, how, do you, how can you be born again? Like, i got a lot of questions here. Jesus didn't say, oh, you got to be kidding me right now. Like, are you sincere? What's your problem? Who do you think you are? He was not put off in any way because Nicodemus was a sincere seeker. See, we can seek God even when we don't understand everything he says. Jesus offered comforting assurance to all who approach God in prayer. This is that powerful truth I told you about a few moments ago when Jesus told Nicodemus what he needed to hear and not necessarily what he asked. The Bible says, Your Father knoweth what things you have need of in Matthew 6 and 8 before you even ask him. Isn't that great? Because sometimes I'm like Nicodemus. I can be so discouraged. I can be so frustrated. I can be so confused. I can be so upset. I don't even know what to ask God. I don't even know how to formulate the words. Have you been so angry? Have you ever been so upset you're almost afraid to say anything? There's been times I've approached God. I've been disappointed and hurt and upset. I don't even know what to say. But thank God. He knows what I need, even when I don't know what to say. <laughs> Nicodemus didn't even know the question to ask, but Jesus said, that's okay. I know you don't know the question. I know you don't have the answers. I know you don't have it all together. That's okay. I know what you need, even when you don't ask. That's the power of prayer. It's good news because most of us really don't know what we need. If I were to poll the audience tonight, and I would say, oh, what do you really need from God? I need a new car, pastor. I need a new boss man. <laughs> I need... But the reality of it is we don't know what we need because we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what we're going to face tomorrow. But you know who knows what we need? God. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. And he and he alone knows what we need. Like Nicodemus, we may come to Jesus with a certain purpose in mind, hoping to receive a particular answer. But because He knows both our thoughts and our deepest needs, He can redirect us towards what is truly important. What, what would have been more important in that moment? For Jesus to give Him a history lesson on who He was? What would have been more important for Nicodemus? For him to go through his genealogical uh, background. Here's my father. Here's my grandfather. Here's where I was born. This is who I am. Have a good day. He said, let's skip all that. and Let's get down to the heart of the matter. You must be born again of the water and of the spirit. He knows what we need. We can confidently approach the Lord in prayer and offer him our questions and doubts. Someone say doubts. We can express our emotions. I wish more people would express emotions to God so it would save them from expressing emotions to people who are not God. Most of the time, people express emotions to other people and then have to go talk to God about the emotions they express to people who are not God. 
If you would go to God with your emotions, anger, bitter, upset, disappointed, whatever those emotions are, take them to God first, and then you wouldn't have to go back and repent for what you did emotionally to other people, to your boss man. To... We can take our emotions to God. In Revelation 2 and 23, Jesus described himself as one who searcheth the reins and hearts. The reins, like the, the reins on a horse. Searches our direction. Searches our hearts, our motives. Now, it's a terrifying realization for those who are bent towards evil to think that God could search our hearts and our motives. But a comfort to anyone who sincerely seeks Him but doesn't know how to pray or even ask. I don't mean like doesn't know how to pray, pray. I mean like doesn't know what to say in prayer. Too often we say things that we just have heard other people say. We just say things that we just say every time we pray. We have phrases. We have things we say to make us feel like we're praying. I'm just being honest. We say things that impress others around us. Boy, they're going to think I'm a real prayer warrior when I, wherefore thou art, beloved, oh, how art thou? Man, that's a, that's a praying brother right there. And the reality of it is we say that because we don't know what to say. Sometimes it's okay to not know what to say. That doesn't mean you don't know how to pray. In fact, I would say people that really pray go to God more often than not and not know what to say. It's okay to pour your heart out. It's okay to pour your emotions out. The Bible says there's groaning in prayer, utterances, things we can't verbalize. That's real prayer. I remember hearing my mom pray and couldn't understand a word she was saying, but I promise you God knew everything that she was conveying, everything she was communicating, because He knows. He knows. He searches us. In fact, Romans 8 and 26 says, we know not that what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. If you can't remember the last time you had a prayer that falls into that kind of description, you need to be praying more often. If every prayer that you have is beautifully articulated and it's clean, and it's got an opening, and it's got a closing, and you give God a high five on the way out. That's not, you need to get in there sometimes and just moan, and just cry, and just pour your heart out to God. Pound, whatever, pound the floor, whatever. You need to be real, and honest, and sincere, and emotional with God. Talk to Him like He is your best friend, because He is, or He desires to be. And so, Jesus explained the new birth. Number one, he said we must be born of the water. It is clear from the context of this conversation that Jesus was referring to water baptism. He was saying we must be born of the water. The opening chapter of John's gospel includes a discussion between John the Baptist and representatives sent from the Pharisees about the importance of water and Holy Spirit baptism. John the Baptist was baptizing his followers in the Jordan River. John chapter 1, 28, 31, and 33. And he received a supernatural sign that Jesus was the Son of God or the flesh of God. 
He said he would baptize them, not just with water, but with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Immediately following his conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus and his followers went into the land of Judea, and John 3 and 22 says, and were baptized. They were baptized. Given the many New Testament statements and examples stressing the importance of water baptism in Jesus' name, it is imperative that we obey Jesus' command to be born of water if we want to enter into God's kingdom. When Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again of the water and of the Spirit, he was clearly saying to him, you must be baptized. We not only need to be born of the water, but we need to be born of the Spirit. This is what he told Nicodemus. We cannot... Stop with water baptism. Jesus clearly stated that the full new birth experience also includes spirit baptism. We know that baptism is a form of burial. The Bible says we are buried with him in baptism. What good is a burial if there is not a resurrection? Right? Thank God for the burying of the old man. But The New Testament plan of salvation, God's plan for every New Testament believer includes not only burying the old man, putting the past under the blood of Jesus, but it also includes a resurrection and a new believer and a new person in Christ. Jesus said, and he compared spirit baptism to the blowing of wind. In fact, John used the Greek word referring both to the wind and the Spirit in this passage. Jesus noted that both the wind and the birth of the new Spirit are accompanied by a sound. The Greek word here is usually translated as voice. We get our English word phone in other New Testament passages. So voice, sound. When the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, what did we see? There came a sound from heaven, Acts 2 and 2, as of a rushing mighty wind. The wind of the Spirit produced another sound. And the voices of the believers speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The 120 believers who gathered in the upper room in Jerusalem were there in obedience to Christ's command of Luke 24 and 49. We're there to first experience the new birth that Jesus had described to Nicodemus. What Jesus was describing to Nicodemus took place in that upper room. But they were not the last. Thank God. The world needs to know that being born again of the water and spirit is not a historical event relegated and delegated to those in Acts chapter 2. I don't know who really believes that anymore because millions of people are receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost all over the world. The Holy Ghost is for everybody. Being born again of the water and of the Spirit is for every single person. Believers all over the world are experiencing being born again of the water and Spirit every day. Indicated by speaking in other tongues, just as Jesus described to Nicodemus. So again, Nicodemus did not fully understand This religious teacher, it's important to know this was a teacher. This was an educated man. This wasn't a guy uh, whose elevator didn't go all the way to the top. 
fries, three, three, what did it say? Three fries short of a Happy Meal. I must be shorter than that because I can't even get the words out. I'm five fries short. This was a smart guy. But we know in only a few sentences, Jesus had stretched Nicodemus' understanding past the breaking point. <laughs> he blew his mind. Despite his extensive knowledge of the Scripture, Nicodemus didn't grasp what Jesus was saying. Sadly, many faithful religious people are still in the dark about water and spirit baptism. <laughs> They've never fully experienced or personally experienced what Jesus described. And so, because they've never personally experienced it, or because they don't fully understand it, they just say it ain't real. It's just easier that way, right? It's just easier to say it's not for you. It must be very uncomfortable to be attending a church where people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, maybe in worship it in their private prayer time, and then go to their pastor and ask him about it, and then he has to try to work his way or explain around how that didn't happen or it's not for you or it's not real. Well, that's funny because it did happen to me in my prayer closet last night, and I can tell you it was real. You'll never hear that in this church. I'm telling you it's for you. It's real. It's for every single person that's sincerely seeking. It's for everybody. I'm glad I don't have to answer that question. <laughs> I have taught Bible studies to people who in the Bible study, one young couple received the baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues in their living room as I taught them a Bible study. And uh, they had been long-standing members of a church of another denomination. And, uh, it, it, met, and it, it lended itself to a very interesting conversation with their pastor who became their former pastor when he told them, I don't know what you got, but you didn't get that. And they said, I'm sorry, did you just call me a liar? Oh, no, I didn't mean it like that. You just thought you got that. No, sir. I spoke in other tongues in my living room. And I felt the power of the Holy Ghost standing next to my coffee table. And so if I can't do that in this church, or this is something you don't accept, or this is something you don't believe in, then I'm not going to be here anymore. Thank God they went on. They're living serving for God, serving God today. It's for everybody. And so, human wisdom will not always produce supernatural results. Nicodemus proved that. The good news is that salvation does not require great intellect, or I would not be here tonight. <laughs> and thank God you don't have to be as smart as Nicodemus to receive it. Great intellect does not produce it. The only requirement is obedient faith. It's why a child who fully understands, or, and, and I shouldn't say fully understands, maybe as a child they don't grasp all of the ins and outs, but they know that the Bible says I need to repent, I need to be baptized, and I, I need to receive this Holy Ghost. That simple childlike obedience, God will respond and fill them with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's not a matter of intellect, it's a matter of faith. Someone say faith. In fact, I think people trip themselves up by trying to understand everything about it before they fully respond in faith. And on the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached the necessity of both water baptism in the name of Jesus and the infilling of the Holy Ghost in Acts 2 and 30, uh, 38, approximately 3,000 people received his word and were baptized. Today, 
we can believe and obey the words of Jesus and Nicodemus and be also a subsequent witness of the apostles and experience firsthand what it's like to be born again. Jesus explained who and why he is. Even though John 3.16 is one of the most frequently cited verses in the entire Bible, it's because it succinctly summarizes the gospel message. God loved the world that he gave his only begotten. When the New Testament speaks of Jesus as the Son of God, it is referring to Jesus' role as Savior. Not another Savior, not another God, but the role that he played, the flesh that he was in. John 3.16 also tells us that Jesus is the only begotten Son, meaning that as a man, Jesus came into existence at a specific point in time, an appointed time before the foundations of the world. The Bible says a lamb, a begotten time, an appointed time. And as the Son of God or as the flesh of God, Jesus lived a sinless life, died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. And when we put our faith in His work at Calvary, when we believe in Him, we will have everlasting life. Not a mental acknowledgement, but a believing in Him that obeys Him. True belief is obeying His Word. You can't believe in Him and not obey His Word. True belief is obedience. Obedience. Biblically speaking, belief is more than a mental acknowledgement that Jesus died on the cross. A historian can do that. Any dummy can say, yeah, Jesus, that, that man died on the cross. That don't put you in heaven. We just read the scripture, devils, but devils know that. A mental acknowledgement is not good enough. It includes obedience to his commands, including his command to be born again of the water and of the Spirit. Jesus concluded his conversation with Nicodemus that by observing that light is coming to the world. I am the light of the world. Goes on to say, Jesus is the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And so it's important that we embrace that new light that we have through the sacrifice of Jesus. There is no truth outside of the light. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I know we live in a world that pe people like options. People like, is there a plan B? Is there another way? No, there is not. There was one door to the ark, and there's one way to God. Before their conversation ended, Jesus told Nicodemus in verse 21, He that doeth truth cometh to the light. Truth is more than just a set of facts to believe in. Because anybody can be smart enough to look at the facts and say, okay, what they're saying is right. True belief involves doing or action. Doing truth includes obeying Jesus' command to be born of water and of the Spirit. Do you know what believing on the Lord Jesus Christ actually looks like? Being born of the water and of the Spirit. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is not nodding your head. It's not writing on a piece of paper. It's not saying you're right. 
believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is acting and doing on His commandments. And His commandments was to be born again. To be born again. If you've ever been born again of the water and spirit, you know how powerful that is. How wonderful it is. They slithered. They coiled and uncoiled. Stand with me. It seemed they dropped from the very heavens. The people wailed in agony, but they knew the horrors were all their own doing, the fruit of their own rebellion. As the death toll grew, the people acknowledged their sin and they begged of Moses in Numbers chapter 21 and verse 7, pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. Moses prayed, you know the story, and in response, God provided an unusual remedy. He commanded Moses to craft the image of a serpent out of brass and mount it on a pole. Moses then lifted up the pole so everyone who had been bitten by the serpents could see the brass serpent. Those who looked on the image Moses had crafted survived God's judgment. As Jesus entered into Jerusalem on the final week before His crucifixion, He told His disciples, Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Satan, the serpent who had successfully deceived and destroyed the whole world, Revelations tells us, was about to meet his end. And just as Moses lifted up the brass serpent in the wilderness to secure the people's salvation, so Jesus soon would be lifted up on a cross. In fact, he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. <laughs> the cross wasn't the solution the disciples were expecting. It's not what they envisioned. It's not what they thought it would be. But it was exactly what humanity needed. <laughs> Nicodemus did not get the answer that he thought he would get. It was unusual. It was different. But it was exactly what he needed to hear. Jesus' words echoed in Isaiah 45 and 22 when he said, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, only by looking unto Jesus. God manifested in the flesh, Timothy 3.16 says, can we find deliverance. Only by believing in His saving work at Calvary, and not just believing in it mentally, but by obeying His command to be born again of the water and spirit then and only then, can we find that eternal life. We know today many still refuse to acknowledge Jesus as the only source of salvation. To them, the story of the cross is foolishness. The Bible says it would be. Like many of Jesus' contemporaries, often today in our world, a Christian is met with scorn and rejection. But those who have been born again of the water and spirit know that the preaching of the cross, 1 Corinthians tells us, is the power of God. <laughs> and it is the hope of eternal life. I challenge anyone here tonight that's not been born again, who's not received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, 
who has not been baptized in the name of Jesus here or watching online, I challenge you right now, don't let another day go by until you have repented of your sins, lifted up your hands, received the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, and then be baptized in the saving name, the only name in which any New Testament convert was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. If you've experienced that, why don't you lift your hands and thank God for it right now. Thank you, God. Thank you for your truth of your word, Lord. Thank you for the ultimate sacrifice, God. Thank you that you shed blood. Thank you, God, that you provided a way, a means. Thank you, God, that you allow us to be born again, a new creature, Lord. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. We thank you for that, God. We thank you for it. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. We thank you for it. And everybody say amen. Amen. Received a uh, prayer request here tonight for Shanae West. Shanae is in the hospital again with her heart and has reached out through Facebook during service tonight asking for prayer. Of course, Shanae um, went to our church many years ago and was actually in my first youth group. And so let's pray tonight for Shanae. God, I pray right now for Shanae West that your hand would be upon her. I pray for healing, God. Supernatural intervention right now. Step into that room, God. Mighty God, you are able to restore. You're able to correct. God, anything that is not right, I pray you would correct it. That you, God would be praised and you would be honored. You would be glorified. Let this be a great miracle, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I claim healing in her body. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody say amen. amen. God bless you. So good to see you tonight. We look forward to seeing you Sunday morning. Amen. God bless you. You're